It's time to talk sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror. It's time to talk movies, TV, books, and games. It's time to escape boring talk radio with the Jimmy through the wormhole and into the geek universe. And now, a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, this is Geek Universe and I am your host, Jim Yelton. We are coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters, otherwise known as the 10 Forward Lounge. You know, if you slip Gynum some gold-pressed latinum, she'll let you have some of the Romulan ale she saves for special customers. This week on the show, we're joined by comedian David Huntsberger. You know, when we recorded the interview with David on Friday, he was the host of Sci-Fi's Daily Show-esque geek news program, Reactor. Unfortunately, while David and I were chatting about really cool, nerdy things, the folks at Sci-Fi were busy canceling his show. News that David tweeted not long after we finished recording this week's show. But we were lucky that he joined us because we had a wide-ranging conversation that covered everything from the awesomeness of Mad Max Fury Road to why David has problems with Superman. And we even explore how creative types deal with the conflict between art and commerce. Yep, we do get a little introspective on this week's episode. But first... Since I host a show talking about geeky things on the radio, and David was a host talking about geeky things on television, I had to ask David if he was given the geek host aptitude test. <laughs> no, they hired me just as a comedian. How about you? <laughs> no, actually, I uh, I took a test. We're going to start things off by asking you some things just to verify that you were qualified to host one of these kinds of shows. Are you more Star Trek or Star Wars? They ask that a lot. I think that they, I guess because they both have star in them. Right. They're always inevitably linked together. But like my friends that like Star Wars a lot like it for reasons which I like Star Wars, which is like it's an, it's silly and it's an adventure and it's fantasy. It's a guy. I mean, there's you know Chewbacca. It's 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 very like as a kid, it's amazing. It's just this imaginative, fun world. Star Trek obviously they explore other worlds and they they go into places that are very science fiction-y and, oh, wow, wouldn't that be cool that you'd have the warp drive and be able to zip through space? And But it's rooted, I think, a little bit more in actual science. I mean, if you're if you're some of my friends that are more on the science side of things definitely prefer Star Trek. I, to me, they're different. I, I, I don't know. I've been saying Star Trek just to get the question over with, but I really... <laughs> I don't know. I I like the the newer movies, and that probably makes me the such a scourge to the actual Trekkie fans who seem to not like them all that much. But I don't think there's any pleasing people that are very like uh, fervently attached to either franchise. So that's my answer slash non-answer. I don't know how best to. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. It's kind of like sometimes I'm in the mood for more of a Star Trekkie kind of thing, and then sometimes I just want Star Wars. And because we are of a certain age, we grew up with the original trilogy and, mm -hmm. you know, you just, there's something about it. Like it, it captured everything that 
somebody that was a kid in the late 70s, early 80s would love about seeing something on the big screen like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that and I, I'm not all that familiar with Joseph Campbell. My friend Vern used to read, it was just so weird. He was like a teenager reading Joseph Campbell all the time, but he was always really into like that idea that you're the hero and you don't know it, which so many movies have taken from and they go pick this farm kid and suddenly he's whisked away to this magical world where he's the best. I mean, that, that is the ultimate thing that everyone is really responds to, I think. Like, oh, what if I'm Luke. Yeah, exactly. Although it's funny because I was not that kid. I was not the kid that grew up wanting to be Luke Skywalker. From day one, and my best friend in grade school will mm. will verify the fact that day one, seeing Star Wars, I was always Han Solo. Like that, oh, for yeah. some reason, that clicked with me. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if it's been influenced too by like for everyone else, not you obviously, that that uh, Harrison Ford went on to have such a cooler career than Mark Hamill. You know, so it became like the coolness as you go back in retrospect and watch like, Oh man, it's Indiana Jones for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He was the president. He kicked Gary Oldman off his plane. I mean, he's, he's ultimately cool. So speaking of, of who's cooler, Kirk or Picard, where do you fall on that argument? I don't, I don't know enough. I also, the, the Internet nowadays, everything gets boiled down to who won and lost and where these groups and it's DC or Marvel and this. Or, I, I, it's good for just being fun, I guess. Just as people, I know them more. And I, I think like Patrick Stewart's career later and getting all high and doing weird stuff and question, it makes me love him, whereas the Priceline commercials bother me. So just from that standpoint... <laughs> I would say John Picard, but uh, uh, I don't know. I I didn't. I haven't seen enough of the old franchise through and through to really go. That's my guy. And see, that's what's really weird when I talk to people nowadays because I think we're so used to Shatner now mm-hmm. that right, yeah. people forget how kind of cool Kirk was, and and they just they project the not even you know the Priceline William Shatner, but even some of the later movies where right. the, the original cast was starting to get a little bit older, and I I think everybody just says well Picard there's so much more to him, and and I keep saying yeah, but you have to go back and watch the original series. Kirk was totally awesome in the original series, and I think the movies, especially the later ones, kind of did a disservice to all of the original crew in some ways. So Yeah, I, I mean, I have a friend who's a big uh, Star Trek, and I asked him about that, and he's like, you know, the original ones are campy, and so, they, you know, as, like, these things become more contemporary, they get tweaked and they get cooled up over and over, and so it's, you know, your perception looking back, it's like music, everything, you know, like, well, I don't really know looking at the, the original thing, the genesis of what this became, because I've been influenced so much by everything beyond it, everything after it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably, like, dependent on the age people are and when they saw it and how it impacted them or affected them. Because, yeah, just, I mean... James T. Kirk, like the way they did it in the first J.J. Uh, Abrams one, where they, they kind of re- re-emphasized that. Like, this is a, an alpha dude. He's someone who, like, believes in himself, and, you know, that came from somewhere. It's not like he just made that up. He was cool in the beginning, but... So you said earlier that in talking to people, you know, you get caught up in these arguments, you know, DC or Marvel or Star Trek or Star Wars. So are you a big comic book guy? No, I um, I, I like them. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, most of the movies, and I'm, I'm familiar but not to the degree that people really know the minutiae. Well, like, actually, here, and I love it. I, I really like talking to people and hearing what they're passionate about or why. And 
you know, some people are really into, you know, say like Wolverine and other people are really into maybe Batman or whatever, but some people know all of it. And it's insane to me that yeah. they know like the entire comic book world. And I'd sometimes, you know, read comics and I would flip through it just, to me, the jumping around, it never really, it never really appealed. I love the art. I would just flip through them and just look and like, wow, this is beautiful. And I still feel that comic book artists get such a I mean obviously they can go do signings and people really respect them and yet the amount of work they do compared to someone who makes one piece of art and hangs it on a wall and a comic book artist is like oh I made 30 of those this week so you don't really have a dog in the fight for the upcoming Batman versus Superman I just don't like Superman. I never have. I think it's ridiculous that he, he I mean, I get like being raised by humans and you, you're, you know, you get these great like Kansas sort of down home Midwest ethics of be a good person and help people. But, you know, and I get the, the cape is the one that he was sent in. That's like a baby blanket, right? Is that from the original story? Yeah. Something like that. But yeah. he, so he's got, but to, to rise up and float above people and go, I'll help you, citizen. It never made sense to me that if it happened to you, if you went to a planet and as you grew up, everyone around you could uh, run maybe at their fastest, like as fast as a rascal scooter. And then you could obviously run much faster than that. And, and you could stop a rascal scooter. Like, don't, don't go anywhere. And then just be going, mm. and if they fell in a ditch, they would just be laying there until they died. They're just laying like a one foot deep ditch. And then all their weapons were marshmallow based and all the marshmallows would just bounce right off of you. And they'd go, Oh my God, this guy can stop marshmallows. You would help people, but you'd be so embarrassed by doing it. Like get out of the ditch. Come on. You guys are so pathetic. <laughs> you, to, to have the audacity and the, to be so audacious to float above, oh, help you, citizen. It's just, it always bugs me. So I like Batman that he's crafty. He's more like one of us. He figures things out. He's smart. He's resourceful. I, the only downside is that he's so wealthy, which I guess every, you know, character needs to have that too. Like a part of them, you know, like, oh, well, that's, that's a less than charming quality. Well, you know, you bring up a good point about Superman because I've always thought, and it's not been something that's bothered me about the character to the point where I don't like the character, but I always wonder why Superman has not been more proactive about putting into motion things to where we as a civilization could help ourselves more. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. you know, because like you said, I, at some point, wouldn't he just get bored with the fact that he has to come help people all the time and just be like, come on, for once, do it yourself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You, Save me for the big things, like when giant aliens come and try and take over the planet. But, I mean, really, like fires and stuff, it's getting a little old. Cats and trees. I mean, do the, yeah. get the cat yourself. Absolutely. He should never be doing that stuff. And why doesn't he have super intelligence? Why doesn't he also Tony Stark or, or one of the, you know, the brilliant people? Why is he just kind of like, oh, I'm just a, a dude that's in good shape and I can figure things out and I'm nice. And why you spend your time working at a fake newspaper when, yeah, you could be designing right. cars that protect <laughs> you better. See, I, I think the job at the Daily Planet's because he's bored. He just, he needs something yeah. else to do. Or, you know, there were, there were always those great, 
stories in the 60s and 70s when they first started doing the Justice League where the Justice League would have an uh, official meeting where the, you know mm-hmm. they would gather at their headquarters and they were having like their monthly get together slash hangout and I always thought you know Superman should be the one guy that walks in and goes why am I doing all this myself the rest <laughs> of you guys take care of all the little stuff don't call me unless it's big okay right yeah if there's a meteor coming I can slam it out of the way none of you can do that no matter how good your powers are you can't do that green lantern you're not picking up your slack come on (laughs) that's our guest comedian david huntsberger the host of sci-fi's reactor coming up david tells us how he crowdsourced his own stand-up comedy special and i ask him what his favorite spielberg movie is does he give the right answer or will david be the first guest in the history of this show to get kicked out in mid-interview see that's what they call a tease kids i'm jim yelton and you're listening to geek universe you are listening to geek universe with jim yelton have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and our guest this week is comedian David Huntsberger. Since the Geek Universe is embarking on our own live comedy trivia Thunderdome tour, I thought it'd be nice to pick David's brain on striking a balance between the creative side of art and the commercial side of the business. But before we talk about that, there was one more question I had to ask in order to gauge David's geek street cred. What's his favorite Spielberg movie? Oh yeah, Jaws. It's I mean, I love oh, E.T., but uh I was I was about ready to end this interview right here if you had said anything other than Jaws. I was might have given you <laughs> E.T. <laughs> yeah, it's just impossible. I I mean, it was just the anniversary and so we watched it I think a couple times my girlfriend and I and she had never seen it. She's raised on like musicals and uh I we've been dating for 3 years and throughout the course of that any time like you want to watch a movie? How about jobs? Oh, I can't. Not right. Now. All right. How about jobs? And I'm in the mood for horror. So it just kept getting bypassed and then finally as the anniversary came around like you have to see this. And people were just playing Quincy speech at things I went to, just like, there, just in case you forgot, this is the greatest, and it's just so good. And you forget that, like, when you see the shark, I, I, I totally forgot, and I don't know that I knew all the background stuff, but like, you know, the shooting in the water, it was originally planned for 50 days, and they shot for 100 or something like that, and the shark broke, and so the scenes where they actually show it, it looks pathetic, and that's a testament to me, like, to how good the movie is, where, like, when you see these terrible animatronic things, you're like, eh, it's still good. People that listen to the show have been listening on a regular basis know that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time and but we had Carl Gottlieb on our first show talking about mm-hmm. Jaws and, and it cracked me up because he said his original deal for being in the movie was a one-week contract and he was there for five months and yeah that, that's how much of a problem <laughs> the shark was that it just kept going on and on and it you know we talked about it and I said it's amazing to me not that it's a great movie and that they got what they were able to get out of it but how good it looks and I mean, just the yeah. parts that they were able to get with the shark are amazing looking even today. Yeah, there's only just the one where it comes up on the boat and kind of like rakes back and forth as Clint slides down. And you're like, that's, that's not so good. Yeah, that's what he but said. Like, he said that was the only shot that bothered him. Yeah. No movie should do that. It's, it's crazy that now if you, they, if they tried every movie that's like, there's a piece. They, 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 they have dramatic sort of elements leading up to when they finally show it. But even in Jaws, when they've kind of shown it for the first time, that guy is in the pond. Shark is on the pond. Shark is on the pond. Yeah. That guy falls in, and the kids are just there kind of looking. The way they shoot that from above, and you just only see kind of a streak of gray. 
you see what you know, it's kind of out of focus, the mouth open. It's so it's so much more chilling than if you see a very graphic shark come up or a very detailed um, like CGI. You just sort of see this blur. That to me is the scariest. That I I think that's the perfect way to do that. My wife and I argue all the time about whether Jaws is a horror movie or not, and I keep saying it. Obviously, it's a horror movie. There's a monster in it. Yeah. The music, I mean, it was such like a, uh, you can't think of it. When you hear that beat, you think horror movies. You don't think like, oh, it's an action movie, or this is fun, or this is real life, or you immediately think, I'm scared. Oh, God, terror. Although I just saw something today on the internet where somebody had taken famous horror movie themes, like they used Jaws and The Exorcist and Halloween and Mm -hmm. I think The X-Files theme, and there was one, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and they changed the key that it's played in. And they all sound cheery. It's it was well because don't they play like most love songs or sad ballads are in minor keys. Yeah, there's something to like power chords. There is something that conveys an emotion. You instantly think of the X. I was like, yeah, it does have like kind of a melodic. Well, and I I shared the video on Facebook, and the comment that I put on the post was, I'm fairly certain that. At least the Halloween theme and the X-Files theme in a minor key, you know, a higher register, they sound like the theme of an ER spinoff. I mean, that's it's just kind of like that kind of like, I mean, they're still have that driving beat to it, but it's a little bit happier. <laughs> Diluting it by listening to other people and it's pure art, but you might also just live out there on the street doing that and you might know one, might know one, I never hear it. And so I think all artists go through that. I'm like, ah, this is gross that I have to like put a post up and say, hey, enjoy this. Did you just make it for yourself or did you make it hoping it would get 100,000 likes and people sharing it all over the place? And art just to me is in a really strange place now where it's it's been infiltrated by that, by consumerism and commerce so much. It's really hard to know, like, was this made with pure intention? Well, and and you know this just as well as anybody else that's out there creating stuff as as a stand-up, because there's a fine line between, hey, I just want to do my art for the enjoyment of it, and I want other people to enjoy it, but at the same time, do you want a bigger audience? I mean, or there's sometimes you have to make choices as an artist and say, well, if I do it this way, me and my friends and family are going to see it, and they'll probably enjoy it, but that's it. Nobody outside of a small circle is going to see it, or if I take it in this direction and make these creative choices, possibly a bigger audience will see it, and I'll develop a following, and then somewhere down the road, I'll be able to do bigger and better things and you know i just i admire people who kind of stick to their artistic guns so to speak and just do (laughs) art for the sake of art but at the same time i've i have a theater background and you know i'm a writer myself and i see people that spend so much time and effort creating something and they only have a small number of people turn out to see it and i just think to myself well i've spent the exact same amount of time and effort to do similar projects and i've had many more people see them and it's it's a little bit more fulfilling when you have a bigger audience, I guess. That that hits home so much, not just, you know, just in life, but like you say, with stand-up and art and everything you create, but I also specifically a lot of the things you were saying, like I spent, last year around this time, I was working on uh, the stand-up special that I wanted to have animation accompany it with, and through our podcast, Professor Blastoff, a bunch of people volunteered, and they helped out and uh, had all the animators, like creating it, and then 
People made paper mache props and physical things out of injection foam. All volunteers, just like, hey, I heard you're looking for artists. And so we became this weird art collective making this thing where the art I was contributing was like, well, I'll, I'll have this material. That'll be my contribution and I'll help kind of give people guidance and we'll come together as this group and make this. And we did. It was, a, it was so fun. And we shot two shows and we decorated the stage in this crazy way and had really cool lights and costumes and people were wearing masks on their heads. And it was everyone involved was just happy to be there. They got their say. There wasn't a lot of notes or restrictions. And it felt very pure and free. And then the show came about and the whole goal throughout the Kickstarter was like, I'm just going to put this out as a DVD and just I'll just have made it and that'll feel good. And then my manager was like, well, we can get a lot more people to see it. You know, after the show's coming out, people, we can have a chance to sell it. And you see that stuff come in of like some of the options there are like, well, you can show it, but there's going to be commercials. You can show it, but you won't in the rights. So you start balancing that thing of, do I want that many more people to see this, but not in the way that I intended it? I don't want people to see it with commercials. I don't want people to see a cut down version of it with some of the material missing. All along, it's just more and more, I just keep thinking like, I think I'm just going to put it like on Vimeo or something, send it as a DVD and just kind of be like, ah, here's something I made that stayed relatively pure. Hopefully it'll sit on a shelf and I can just look at it and be like, that felt good to do. That was a fun thing. The theater analogy that I give people and when I teach classes and I talk to people that want to do the sort of things that we do, I always say, you know, to do a theater production, it's the same amount of effort whether six people show up or 600 people show up. Right, you right, you right, have right. to put the same amount of rehearsal into it and the same amount of technical expertise into it and the same amount of money. And yeah. it, it doesn't matter whether you have an audience of six or 600. It's all about what kind of work do you want to do and, and what kind of audience are you trying to get for it? Yeah. When I first moved to L.A. and I was doing a lot of stand-up, I was just living on the road, basically. I just had most of my stuff in my car and I slept on friends' couches and it felt very like... I'm doing it, man. But, you know, you're going to comedy clubs and they're really just having you stand up in front of people so that they can sell them drinks and nachos and everything is just kind of use art or whatever you can call art as a way to sell their goods. Oh, it's just an Irish bar. We brought in this guy to play acoustic guitar so we'll get more people to come in so they'll buy more drinks. But it can also look like, hey, they support the arts here. There's a trade-off. I moved to L.A. and started doing less and less out-of-town work and then started taking like jobs around town like doing production and working like behind the scenes of like commercials where you're just like being a, a gopher basically and seeing how much money and how many resources they have in the most expensive cameras in the world to shoot a 30 second thing and all these filmmakers out there just desperately trying to get their little story told with the DSLR camera they have and a minimal sound package and all their friends trying to be actors. And it's rough, you know? You're just like, ah, this weird dichotomy where being with your hat on the sidewalk and, and playing your guitar is a fun way to go. But if you really want to enjoy it or do it at the highest level, you got to kind of make these concessions or, or deal with the you know, not evils, but they're definitely like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is to describe them, but they, they, it's just strange, like the constrictions and the sort of notes process and all that. Hey, gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Write Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Write series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? 
Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Bryn, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, now write science fiction, fantasy, and horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.net. You're listening to Geek Universe with this week's guest, comedian David Huntsberger. You can find information about David's stand-up comedy CDs, his videos, all his blatherings, and more at his website, which just happens to be davidhuntsberger.com. Stay tuned, we have more with David, including our review of some standouts at the summer box office. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe. This is John Jackson Miller, author of Star Wars and Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Hey gang, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton. Let's get back to our conversation with comedian David Huntsberger. Let's talk about your show, Reactor, because I think you give a unique insight into what a lot of people wonder about, because obviously, I mean, you have seen it over the years where sci-fi has kind of transformed itself several times and there mm-hmm. was a while there where it was all fairly decent quality original shows and they had a mm-hmm. good mix of original stuff and reruns of classic science fiction shows and then they kind of went in a different direction and kind of lost some of that audience and it seems like within the last year or so they're trying to get back to what sci-fi as fans we think sci-fi should be I think your show is a great show, and I've loved every episode of it. How did you get involved with Reactor? Oh, thanks. Well, first of all, I'm glad, glad you like it, and I, I think that is uh, what they are looking to do. You know, that, that sci-fi, by being a channel, has this unique uh, sort of umbrella that a lot of stuff can fall under. And I think with um, you know showing reruns of The Twilight Zone and kind of having the Terminator and things that are very definitively like that's science fiction that's perfectly encapsulated in that term. And then I get, you know, maybe the changing of the spelling was an effort to kind of like, well, maybe we can show things like uh, that are a little outside of that, you know, Jurassic Park, still science fiction, but what about a movie like Jaws? What can we show that? It's, you know, kind of, it's a horror movie. It's kind of in that realm. And so I, I don't know if it was just an effort to make that umbrella a little bigger, but they definitely want to have the central place where they can show stuff like the expanse is going to be such a perfect fit for that network. And I think people are really going to love it, but like the magician is not necessarily science fiction, but I saw a trailer for it. It looks awesome. And I don't know where else you could really show that sci-fi seems like a perfect place to have that kind of fantasy element. You know, there's more of like, well, this isn't science fiction, but it is cool. And it's in that same kind of realm. So I think I got involved by, I mean, I just, by, auditioned through a friend who loved the show and they had seen some of my stand-up and comics and things that, you know, I usually am referencing aliens or robots or time travel or whole things along those lines in some capacity. And so I think they just thought I was a good fit in that regard. This guy has jokes about wormholes. He's perfect for us. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So it was less about an encyclopedic knowledge of every, you know, uh, comic book ever written and every video game ever put out and, and more just about like, I am fascinated by the, the world that we live in is essentially the science fiction of the past, you know, Alan Huxley and people like that uh, sort of forecast. This is what could happen. There'll be thinking computers and there'll be talking screens and there'll be cars that drive themselves and all these things are happening and we live right in it. To me, like our show is a place where kind of all those things can converge and we'll talk about them and people already get together and talk about the bigger franchises that are out. And so it's nice to have a central place. So like, you know, that's what our show is essentially, uh, essence of it i guess and you've had some pretty cool guests on so far i know the other day julie benz was on who else have you had on recently we had uh michael rosenbaum on from uh smallville i watched a little bit of that i didn't see every single season i had a friend who was <laughs> when i was uh living in my car not literally but i was mostly in my, i didn't pay rent anywhere and i would stay with him a lot we watched a lot of smallville so it was kind of cool i thought you were going to say when you were living in your car you had a little tv in there and you were watching <laughs> smallville in the, the back seat yeah and michael rosenbaum I, was a great lex luther yeah he was you know it's weird that he i, I didn't really get too deep into it. i think in other interviews they asked him you know like were you considered or you know what's and, and I, there was probably just a perspective on it of like, well, he's he's from, you know, a smaller network on television. We can't make that jump to the to the big screen. I, I think that's incorrect. I think people really would have been into that. I think he was really a good Lex Luthor. I think it's funny that you mentioned that because it, we're almost getting that sort of thing now because of the Arrow and the Flash series on the CW where now that DC's starting to get its act together with a movie universe, people are saying, wait, why can't our TV superheroes be on the big screen. Like, why can't they be a part of the Justice? Did you see the Netflix Daredevil? I did. I was going to ask you about that if you if you had seen it. That was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, I think it was like, that to me, and I, I would imagine other people that are more attached to it feel the same way, which is a huge turning point. Because like you were just saying, like, well, we've got these characters, let's blow them up on the big screen. But some of them, it's a story where, like, I, I, I think even the Fantastic Four would be done better that way, too. Like, let it unfold. Build the relationships and show them becoming who they are. It, it was so good. And to do it in... I just watched uh, Batman Returns the other day. And you forget, like, kind of the starting points for some of these. You're like, it was silly and goofy and fun. And The Flash feels like that a little bit. The music's very light. It's shot in bright colors. It uh, it feels like they're kind of leaning that way. Like, it's a young cast. And it's fun. It's like a fun version. But I like how Daredevil was kind of bleak it was a little dark and they really built the characters well and i thought it was great the cool thing about it was they knew they had a finite number of episodes in the season and it was a smaller order than you know a normal network show and they were mm -hmm. able to like kind of slow play his origin through yeah. the whole series and i i loved that I think sometimes in the movies, we do get a little shortchanged with backstory and, and character development a little bit for the sake of mm -hmm. just having a, a really great big summer blockbuster plot. Yeah. Because you think, like, back to the first one, they, to, to imagine the amount of notes that must have come in. If you're a huge fan, especially if you're the screenwriter, and you go, all right, I've written Daredevil. It's like Jaws. He doesn't really put on the mask until 45 minutes in, and then someone gives a note and goes, yeah, people want to see him. All right, all right, all right. To change it up. All right, I've got him. He's only going to take on Elektra. That's it. Ooh, can we add two more villains? Can we add 
bullseye and we're gonna you know like they just keep adding that suddenly he's gonna make this movie where a guy becomes who he is he, he and you get to know him and the people around him and three villains and have it all I mean there's just too much happening in such a short amount of time there that probably a little too much heat fell on Affleck for that it's just tough to get done in that short amount of time but yeah that Daredevil thing I'm so psyched that that happened and went well because I was not expectations were not on that high yeah and I think the the point you make about the movie version with Affleck is you know it's almost the same thing that happened with Spider-Man too where when they did the Amazing Spider-Man reboot they felt like we have to build a universe and Mm -hmm. we have to throw all these characters into it so that we can do spinoff movies and we can have multiple sequels and we everybody wants to be like marvel now and Mm -hmm. the tough thing is i think people forget that before the avengers came out they had several movies that led up to it so mm-hmm. they were building a universe in multiple movies. They didn't just slam everything into one movie and say, okay, here's the universe. Yeah. Okay, I mean, these guys have played these characters numerous times now, and and they figured out how to play the role, and we've gotten to know them through multiple movies instead of them trying to force-feed all of this stuff into one movie. Yeah, I'm curious how they're going like, gonna to try to do Aquaman because like you say, with the Avengers, everyone has a familiarity, even if it's not with those actors, you know, because if the Hulk had done better with Edward Norton or with uh, Eric Bana, maybe that would have factored in one of those guys would have been in there. But if nothing else, you, people know the Hulk. They know the animated series, they know Lou Ferrigno, like people know the Hulk. You know, then if you build up Tony Stark, now everyone knows, I, you're suddenly building this team where like when you bring them together, people go, okay, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Even though Captain America, to a lot of people, was like the least kind of familiar, I guess, at that point, just from a, a movie franchise standpoint, it was still kind of like, okay, we know all these people. We know Thor, we've seen that movie, all coming together. And then you can branch off and start adding in all these extra characters. I think they're just really smart about doing that. The thing that I worry about with the DC characters is, to me, they're a little bit more iconic, they're a little bit more legendary, and they're a little bit more larger than life. With the Mm -hmm. Marvel characters, even though people may not be familiar with them going into the first Iron Man or the first Captain America or or with Mm -hmm. Thor, it was really easy to kind of shorthand in a movie their backstory. You know, it's really easy to figure out, okay, Tony Stark's a jerk. He gets hurt. He makes the suit. I mean, you buy that really easily. And the same with Captain mm-hmm. America. I mean, it's everybody can buy into the weakling, wimpy guy who wants to be the good guy and be the hero and save the day and go fight in the war. And they give him this, you know, super soldier serum, and he turns into Captain America. That's an easy mm-hmm. concept to get across to people in a short, condensed right. period of time. And yep. even Thor, because we've kind of grown accustomed to fantasy movies now. Once you introduce Asgard, Odin's the dad. Thor and Loki are the brothers. Loki feels like he's being slighted because Thor is the golden boy. You know, that's a family dynamic that everybody can understand. Even, even you, just the way um, Hiddleston, that's his last name? Yeah. Even though he played Loki, you just see that. You just, everyone sees like a younger brother or a sibling right. or someone you knew. Um, oh, man, that kid. Don't trust him. Don't, he's going to go outside and light his toys on fire. That You can just instantly kind of see that. And that's why I think Batman on the DC side of things is so easy to get across on the big screen because his origin, his backstory is very easy to get across to an audience. Some of the other ones, like you said, Aquaman, even though you get his power set, and mm-hmm. that, that's easy to understand. It's the backstory. It's who he is as a character that's going to take yeah. a little bit more getting into for people to 
understand where he's coming from and sympathize with him as a character. Well, a friend of mine that's a big uh, comic book guy in like, you know, I'm wondering like why Marvel is so successful. And, uh, you know, there's that whole backstory of like owning the rights to stuff and how like Fox and Sony and these, these people have to, you know, these groups have to put out something to retain the rights or at least have something in production. And that can't be helpful to always need to be like perpetually moving or else the rights are going to revert back to things. But in, but in developing the characters, like my friend was saying, you know, the, the, the DC family was sort of from a time where they're pretty upstanding and Marvel let their characters you know, the comic books be a little bit more sexual or their characters a little bit more flawed. And that's easier to relate to and get into and be familiar with. And I just, I, I, I take his word for it, but I don't know everything to that depth to go, like, oh, yeah, that is what it is. Does that make sense to you? Is that kind of why they're like more instantly kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I know the character because they're this, this, and then here's this bad thing. Comedian David Hunsberger is our guest on this week's edition of Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and you've heard us talking about upcoming dates for the live Geek Universe extravaganza, which could be coming to a venue near you this fall. For more information, check out our website at midnight-entertainment.com and make sure and gear up for the Trivia Thunderdome. It's coming your way. This week's show is sponsored in part by geekarmory.com. This is one of the coolest places on the interwebs for everything nerdy and geeky. They've got t-shirts, toys, gadget apparel, and knickknacks from Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, the X-Men, and, and much, much more. It's holiday shopping season, and there's no better place to find something awesome for that special geek in your life. It's the favorite place to shop for the well-armed nerd. It's Geek Armory on the net at geekarmory.com. That's geekarmory.com. You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. PopFunko.com is the best place on the web to shop for those awesome Funko Pop vinyl figures. Specializing in rare and hard to find figures, PopFunko.com carries limited editions, metallics, glow-in-the-darks, autographed, chase, and retired pops. All your favorite characters from The Walking Dead, Ghostbusters, Game of Thrones, The Big Lebowski, and many, many more can be found here too. They even have collector sets and a bargain bin featuring pop figures for $10 or less. It's my first stop when looking for Funko figures, and now it can be yours too. That's Pop funko.com we're glad to have you join us for another exciting episode of geek universe i'm jim yelton and we've had the pleasure of chatting with comedian david huntsberger this week let's wrap things up by looking at some of this year's summer blockbusters you know i've been really amused at how a lot of the big releases are straight out of the 80s and 90s you've got mad max jurassic world the new terminator and i keep looking for doc brown's delorean because it feels like i've been taken back to the future yeah, there was a documentary about Kurt Cobain. There was, uh, yeah, they were like, oh, the X-Files is coming back. There's all these weird things. You're like, what is happening? Is I going to relive a part of my life? I, I, I don't know. I don't, seeing Mad Max, I mean, all the talk now about how bigger movies are, are need to be these internationally accessible things so that they're big and they're CGI and boom, yelling, screaming, and the jokes can't be too subversive because they might not translate into a different language all that well, so everything's got to be pretty, I'm going here. There's a dinosaur out of his cage. I'm running here. Right. And it lost all of the, the intimacy of Jurassic Park, the little nuance moments, the little, you know, the building that sort of suspense, and this is just like a big, big Hollywood epic, you know, and you kind of leave at the end, like, like you were saying, people just want to be entertained, and you're like, yeah, the first one, like, it had these things about playing God, and they're just little things feathered in there. And, and then on the opposite end of it, I thought, absolutely do another Mad Max. It was so pretty, and it took full advantage of the technology we have now, and it was just unbelievable to watch. 
and it didn't need a story, really. I mean, it's no. just a big chase scene, but it was just so well done. And you're just sitting there, like, being a little kid almost again. It's like, I am at the movies, and I'm having the best time. This is such a thrill throughout. They reach a halfway point, and you kind of, like, take a breath. Like, I don't know if I could take more of this. This is really tense. And then, it's, it was so great. The thing to me about Mad Max, that it was George Miller coming back to the franchise that he created and Mm -hmm. doing it now with all of the technology. And like you said, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. And I know every time I would see part of it, I just thought to myself, this makes me sad that he couldn't do this kind of movie with the first three, that he was under those restrictions and, you know, whether it was money or technology. And the the first three movies are great and I love all of them, but in considering how long he's been doing this and all of the other stuff he's done since Beyond Thunderdome, the mm-hmm. fact that he could go back into that genre with that character and hit not just a home run, but a home run out of the stadium across the parking lot into <laughs> another building. Yeah. And like the ball takes you out of a stadium that you're familiar with and travels beyond stadiums you didn't even know existed. So you're like, it, it was just so unique and so... I mean, it's been a long time, I think, for everybody. If you had those moments in that movie where you just sort of trans, you know, kind of you're totally enamored and engrossed in it, and then all of a sudden you sort of, like, just transcend it a bit, where you're just kind of like, where am I? You just yeah. kind of get lost in it a bit. It's so cool. To compare it to something like Jurassic World, which on the surface is the same sort of thing. We're going back to a world that we've been to before. We know mm-hmm. kind of what the rules are. We've seen it. But those story beats in Jurassic World were kind of things that I was expecting. And they were were cool to see, and it made me happy, and I walked out of the theater feeling I got more than my money's worth with it, but Fury Road showed me things that I wasn't expecting, didn't know I wanted until I saw Mm -hmm. it, and then when I saw it, I was like, oh, I need more of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was was like a new drug. It was just, you got a little dose of something where you're like, well, yeah, whoa, I've been drinking coffee, and all of a sudden now I just have this serum injected in my veins that now I'm more alert than I got, you know, something to that extent. It was just so different. I, they were, I, had, I didn't have, you know, some movies like you leave, like Ant-Man, didn't really have any problems with it. It just didn't jump out to me. It was just kind of like, I, I kind of, I, I like Edgar Wright a lot, and I feel like it would have just had a little bit more of pizzazz maybe with him, but I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Whereas with Jurassic World, when I left, I, I had some problems. I the way the nanny goes out was just baffling to me. This really unnecessary sort of gruesome exit for no reason. Yeah. That seemed to be out of character with uh, Jurassic Park just to go back to that world and be like, wait a second, this is really odd. It just felt like a little too graphic and I don't know, this is just over overused CGI with the birds and stuff. There were things where I was like, like these characters, I just want to see more. I, I wanted to get to know them a little more. It was a little too heroic for me with the, the motorcycle and the leather vest and come with me and there, I had problems. I liked it. I thought it was enjoyable, but I, I had problems uh, as, you know, what a stupid thing to say. Can you even be concerned right. And I'm not mad at it or anything like that, but it just, it is nice. And you leave a movie and you're like, yep, that was amazing. And it happens seemingly pretty infrequently, you know. Jurassic World, at least the one thing we got out of it was we know for certain that Chris Pratt is a movie star that can yep. carry a yeah, movie. Yeah, bonafide. I think, did you think that after Guardians or did it take yeah, you this way? I, like- I did, but the thing for me was, and I told people after Guardians, that I knew he was going to be good in Guardians because I was a fan of his from Parks and Rec. And yeah. even when he started doing some movies, like even a, a little role like he had in Moneyball, where mm-hmm. it wasn't a, a flashy thing, but I knew that he could do it. 
And I, yeah. you know, nothing in Guardian surprised me other than the entire movie surprised me at how good it was. And a lot of that was not just him, but the rest of the cast and James Gunn. But I told people coming out of Guardians, I said, we need to see if he can do another one. And if it's going to yeah. be a different kind of character. And that's what I'm looking for is to see him go in a different direction with some of the roles he's doing. That's why. When they started talking about rebooting Indiana Jones and his name was being thrown around, I thought, you know, he could do it, but I don't necessarily know that he should do it because then he gets pigeonholed into being that guy. And it'd be yeah. interesting to see him do something else. Yeah, I mean, how many of these, like, sort of archetypes can we really dream up, though? I mean, there's, you know, Harrison Ford kind of already took the main ones. They have, you know, it, it, I think people probably would have been more open to him being Jack Reacher if they had waited. I know it's not like a real sci-fi series, but just yeah. similar to The Patriot. The kind of, uh, he's, uh, you know, this kind of cool spy-ish type character. He's not James Bond. And I, something new like that, I think that would have made more sense to wait and have a guy that was taller. That was, because I, I think Jack Jack Reacher is supposed to be like six six or something like that. Yeah. But that that would have been cool as opposed to like, well, now he's just running in similar shoes to the Guardians and similar to Star Wars, and now he's going to be Indian. I'm just going to relive this career of Harrison Ford. I'd, yeah, I'd rather see him do something that was unique or original. I'm kind of excited because they're remaking The Magnificent Seven, and Denzel Washington is starring in it, and Chris Pratt's his co-star. He's he's one of the seven, and I love that idea. I, I love seeing him working and playing off of Denzel Washington a little bit. I, th I think that would be a cool dynamic to see. Yeah, I hope people go and watch the original one first just to kind of give it its uh, I mean, that, that was, I mean, it wasn't the most original movie. It was, I think that was directed from Seven Samurai or something, right? Seven Samurai is a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I thought like taking something like that, taking an idea, making it a Western, like this is very American, cool thing to do. But now whenever they reboot stuff, I always just get this weird feel of like, mm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have that glossiness to it so that it can do well internationally and right. it doesn't have a personality. And that, that, that sort of scares me about something like The Magnificent Seven. The first one is, it's pretty cool. This episode of the show is sponsored in part by Ace Designs Media. With hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs Media team knows how to build beautiful, interactive websites, and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. Thanks to our guest, David Huntsberger, for being a part of the show this week. You can check out his website at davidhuntsberger.com to get more information on where you can see him next. And don't forget, become a fan of Geek Universe and our 30 Minutes of Geek podcast on Facebook. You can like us at facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek. Also, remember that we always have more interview than we can fit into the show. This week was no exception. You can find out what David and I have to say about Josh Trank and the Fantastic Four controversy in our Geek Leftovers on the 30 Minutes of Geek podcast. You can find our complete archive along with peeks at my books the swindlers of doom as well as the upcoming extraordinary at our website midnight-entertainment.com that's it for this week's geek universe for rachel our robotic announcer i'm jim yelton reminding you that no matter where you go in this great big geek universe of ours remember to always bring a towel you've been listening to another exciting episode of geek universe with jim yelton
Find out more about the Geek Universe including how to buy Jim's book, the exciting sci-fi adventure The Swindlers of Doom, along with our other geek merchandise, information about our live shows, our full archive of previous episodes, our bonus features podcast, blogs, and more at midnight-entertainment.com. You can also find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek, or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 minutes of geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC and is a proud part of the GLN Radio Network. This episode is copyright 2015. All rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. <laughs>